are getting it, that they're, that they're seeing God do things and they're making decisions and, and then God does stuff. Um, that's, for me personally, I, I think pretty, pretty much all pastors, I think, would be this way. That's what, that's what this is about. That's what we live for. That's the point of this. That's the, the, the moment when somebody says, you know what, I think God really is, and then they begin to make the decisions about what God really is and what God says in his word and the things that he can do. And I've, I've heard stories like this for years and years of, of people that have start tithing, and then all these things happen that seemed coincidental. It seemed like the gears were already in motion before they did this. Um, it's just interesting that it always seems to happen exactly after they start to tithe. You, you ever notice that? You ever notice that in your own life? And like, you know, it looked like coincidence. It looked like this. It looked like, except that it's always exactly when uh, they make a decision to tithe. So, I don't know. I was just, um, I, I just, I enjoy their story because there's a lot better, there's a lot more to their story than just that. Um, there's a lot of things that God is doing. So, yesterday... Um, Gordon White officially got married. <clears throat> He's now Mr. Gordon White. <laughs> I, uh, I sent him a couple messages um, last night, but they never responded. I, I'm like, did they forget who I was? I don't know. I don't know. Either way, so it's, it's not important. I'm sure they were busy. So um, go with me to Luke chapter 21. A couple weeks ago, I said... Uh, the, the, the message is about the message is about the message was about um, that he, that we are running a race and that we keep our eyes on the prize and that the prize is Jesus Christ and I want to unpack that a little bit this morning and really really process the the um, who Jesus is and some of what this prize is it, it's it's easy so when I when I grew up in church the most of what I heard uh, had to do with we're, we're going to get to heaven, we're going to get to heaven, and, and that's a good thing, that's not a bad thing, don't misunderstand where I'm going with this, that was really solid, but it seemed to be like 80% of what I heard was just hang in there, we're going to get to heaven, hang in there, we're going to get to heaven, and as I grew up and I realized that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit was to give us power on this earth to do things on this earth, I really began to shift gears and say, wait a second, and then as I got ministry, I realize that this really is about being and doing what God wants us to be and do on this earth, that we are supposed to be um, uh, uh, preaching the gospel to the nations, that, that even going back into the Old Testament, that they were to be a blessing to the nations, that this was, there was the idea that somehow we're just supposed to like hang on and, and focus on heaven seemed to be very short-sighted to me and, and also seemed to be kind of selfish, that well, as long as I'm holding on to, to my understanding that there is a heaven and I get to get there, then that's okay. I'm, I'm safe. Everybody else can, can figure it out themselves. And so, so that is the reason that I put most, almost overwhelmingly, uh, uh, all the emphasis on who we're supposed to be now and uh, what that looks like now. And then, so a couple weeks ago, I was talking about that we're running for the prize. Even though we're running now, we can also understand that there is a prize out there that... that um, that they're, we're running to a finish line, but the finish line is not the finish of existence. It's actually the beginning. And that the race that we're running now <clears throat> is actually very temporary. And, and that uh, it, it's taking us somewhere. When you cross the finish line, there's a lot of stuff that happens. I, I, I love the, um, 
the Tour de France, and I, and I watch it every year, I record it, I watch all the legs of it, and, and uh, it's, it's probably my favorite uh, sporting event all year long. I, I bicycle myself, I love that, and, and uh, there's something about the different elements, and I don't want to go through it all, and all that. Mo- most people don't understand all the stuff with the Tour de France because they don't watch it, they don't know, but there's, there's something about certain things <clears throat> that happen there, and one of those, there's, there's um, many, many races, three weeks of races, and, um, and by the way, it's happening right now. It, it just finished. And so the, the idea of getting, winning a specific day takes a, a bicyclist, if they can win one um, day of the Tour de France, one, they become superstars in their country. They become very wealthy. They become very famous, not from winning the race, but from all the stuff that happens after the stuff that comes afterwards. Uh, some guys, they, they work really hard. Uh, in fact, w- w- one of the shirts that you get for certain things is a green shirt, and that means you're the best sprinter in the world. And the same guy's won this the last two or three years in a row. Every, he wins almost every leg, and by the end of the race, he's got the green shirt, and he, and he does it every year. Um, there's something about that. He's one of the most well-known cyclists in the world because of that green shirt that he gets for winning. You get different color shirts for different things. And there's something about you're racing, you're racing, you're doing all this stuff, but then you cross the finish line. And when you cross the finish line, a lot of other things happen. The same concept in like um, uh, Super Bowl. When you win the Super Bowl, after you win the Super Bowl, and the cameraman comes up to you and says, now that you won the Super Bowl, what are you going to do? <clears throat> what do they say? Anybody know? Going to Disneyland. You know how much they pay them to say that one sentence? Mucho dollars. It's different per person, obviously. But for them to say the sentence, I'm going to Disneyland, they get paid major bucks. Why? Because they just won the prize, and they like that Disneyland wants the advertisement. So... So winning the prize, winning the race, finishing, the, 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 there's a lot of things that come after. I, I've said this for years and years, and I, I know this because of my military background, but this is the way I look at this. And I think it's pretty accurate assessment that, that if we can look at life on this earth as boot camp for eternity, it's a small time frame compared to, to finishing and getting in the service. It's a small time frame. It's not very fun. You don't like anybody that's involved. There's a lot of stuff, I mean, there's a lot of parallels with life, right? So there, there, this is boot camp. This is boot camp. We need to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. We need to be focused. We need to, we need to be attentive to the details. We need to be obedient to God. We need to do this stuff. But to realize that this is a very tiny uh, a blip on the screen compared to what is going to be. And how amazing and how... All the stuff that's involved, we're going to look at some of that this morning. And as, as we're going through this, really, I think this is the subject. This is where it comes down to, I think, for, for every single human being. Is it, 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 there's only so much about um, what I say or what somebody else says or what books you read or, or even, even what the Bible says. There's only so much about all that. Somewhere, there has to be a decision from you about what you think about all that stuff. And specifically with the Bible, what do you think about it? Do you think it's true? Do you think it's not true? I talk to people constantly, all the time, regularly, all the time. 
about the things of God and stuff that's in the Bible that, that they just dismiss. It's, it's interesting. I, these aren't like casual conversations. Because of what I do and where I go and those kind of things, I have these conversations. Um, I, I was mentioning just this, this last week, had a guy that was uh, um, doing some work for us and just immediately begins to, to open up and tell me his entire story. Everything. It wasn't. I, in fact, it caught me off guard because I'm thinking it, it was parking lot guys, and I went to the parking lot. I'm thinking parking lot and all this stuff, and we were talking about the prices and all the different things, and and um, and then he just turns to me and says, I, "I need to tell you." And he starts telling me his entire story. Very broken. Very broken while he's telling it. And uh, and it, sometimes that catches me off guard. And as I'm listening to his story and I'm processing this, the answer for him is. You're, you've got your eyes on other things except most important thing, which is Jesus. You've got to get your eyes on Jesus. You've got to. You've got to focus on Jesus. You've got to. And if you can do that, if you can just keep your eyes on Jesus, everything else, there's going to be goods and bads. There's going to be a lot of stuff. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, not only do you make it through life and that you can excel through life, and there's a lot of things that God will do with you in life, you also step into the amazingness that is eternity. And that's forever bazillions and bazillions of years. I know people that don't believe in um, hell. I, I, I mention this every now and then. It's interesting to me that I've never met anybody that, um, that, ha- that believes in some kind of spiritual something, God or something like that, that doesn't believe in heaven. They don't believe in hell. Which is interesting because the information for that comes out of the same book. You believe one of them, but you don't believe the other one, but they come from the same source. Is there really a hell? Yes, there's really a hell. We don't, we don't need to, don't ever be deceived into thinking that there's not a hell, that it's not temporary. Um, it's, it's eternal. There is a hell. It's really an eternal thing. It's not just an on this earth kind of thing. There's a lot of different variations I've, I've read and heard over the years. But, but the reality is there's a hell, and there's a lot of, inform- a lot of information in the Bible about that. But there's another part of this that's pretty cool, too. There's also a heaven. And there's a lot of information about heaven. And it's eternal, too. And it's pretty amazing. And the coolest thing is that we're with Jesus. In Luke chapter 21, this is, this is where um, Jesus says some stuff and sets the stage. And, and I'm just pulling a few scriptures out. I, I would say go look at all. There's a big chunk in uh, Matthew, too, that talks about this. But, um, but, but go read all this. Maybe read it three or four times and process some of the stuff, there's a lot of things that Jesus is talking about, and he's covering a large expanse of time uh, in, just a, in just a few little uh, paragraphs here. Um, but I'm going to pull just a little bit out of Luke chapter 20, verse 25. It says, And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. Now, this, this, that's always been an interesting thing to me is they're perplexed by the stuff that the Bible says is going to happen. All right? This, this actually is one of the cool things. I'm not going down this road this morning, but some of the things that are happening with the rapture and some of that kind of stuff, I believe a lot of people, and Scripture shows it, doesn't say it exactly, but it shows it's there. I believe this is the outcome, is a lot of people after the rapture and things like that, they go, wait a second, um, this, this Jesus guy is real. Specifically, they grew up in the church and they're like, wait a second, this is important. 
But interestingly, the scripture does specifically talk about that the greatest um, revival, the greatest awakening, spiritual revelation that Jesus is God that's going to happen in the end times is in the, from the Jewish people. And, and, and part of the reason, well, I think the main reason is because all of the stuff in the New Testament that's there that, that wraps around all the stuff in the Old Testament, pulls it forward, all that kind of thinking, and then all of the stuff that we understand from, from um, uh, I believe it's going to be Islam, the, the, the beheading of the people and all this stuff. I mean, that's, nobody, no other religious group beheads except Islam. That's why I think it's Islam. And so all the stuff that's going and all the things that have happened, a lot of the Jewish people wake up and say, wait a second. Maybe, maybe Jesus was the Messiah. It seems to fit now when everything else is happening, you know? And so we see where there's a lot of stuff that's going on. And, and there, even though there's a lot of horrible things, we also see this, this awakening of people that are saying, Jesus is God. Even though they're still not getting some of the stuff, people will be terrified at what they see coming up on the earth. For the power in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. Now, this is interesting to me. It says, then everyone will see. I don't, I don't, Scripture says things sometimes that, that don't seem to make sense because I don't think we have all the details. And I don't think it's just, this is just a, like um, semantics or colloquial speaking or whatever. When it says that everyone will see, I believe he really means everyone. I take, I take Scripture literally, and, it, and if it says everyone, all peoples is the way that would be said, all peoples will see, then, then maybe Jesus is doing something besides just coming to one place at one time. Maybe this is more around the earth kind of thing, that he's, that he's flying over the entire earth, and they see him coming on a cloud with great power and glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Now, when you read down through all the lists, again, I only pulled out a few, few, few verses. When you read down through the list, that's not the way that I would end the sentence. If I'm writing this, this is not the way that I, I would um, approach this. My, my, when, I, when I get to verse 28 and I say, so when all these things begin to happen, it would, it would be much more negative after that. You need to protect yourself, you need to hide, you need to do all kinds of things. But when I read this kind of statement, it reminds me in Acts 4 and 5, uh, specifically Acts 4, where they had been put in jail, all these things were happening. This is after Pentecost, and there are the, the thousands of people are saved. All this stuff is going on, <clears throat> and then they're still um, threatening this new group called, they're not called Christians yet, but <clears throat> this new group of people, they're threatening them and putting someone in jail when they all get together in the house and they say they're attacking us, they're putting us in jail, they're doing all this stuff, and they're, and they're about to pray. Remember, their prayer is not the normal way people think. Their prayer is not, Lord, protect us, save us from this, hide us, um, destroy our enemies, tear down the government that's, t that's hurting us. I mean, all the different mentalities that can be happening. They're, they're, after all the stuff, they're, they're putting us in jail, they're doing stuff. Their prayer to God is, so Lord, give us boldness to preach your gospel. In the middle of the junk, middle of the stuff, we're going to stand strong. This is the same thing that I'm hearing here. When Jesus is saying this, all this terrible stuff, these things are happening. All this, <clears throat> Before this, he goes over that uh, people will be separated, that, that people will be put in jail, all these different things. And he says, so when all this begins to, to happen, this is a very positive, stand and look up for your salvation is near. 
It's, it's on the horizon. I can't, even, I can't even read that without getting goosebumps. So when all this is going on, pay attention because it's about to get good. So good, it will eclipse anything you could ever imagine. What we've been running for, what we've been focusing on, everything about this, it's about to all come to fruition. And Jesus is going to reveal himself to us. That's our salvation, right? Salvation is not being saved from something. Salvation is being saved to Jesus. Jesus is on his way. And so thinking about the ideas of running the race and following Jesus, I wanted to, to, to broaden out, uh, look at Jesus a little bit this morning and look at some of the things that, um, that he describes to us that is going to be part of crossing that finish line and understanding. So I want to start first with John chapter 1 because this, I think it's important that we always establish, there always has to be a foundation. And I, now, usually I go back to Genesis 1. I love going back to Genesis 1, 2, 3 and looking at stuff. When we're look, anytime we're looking at end time or anytime we're looking at things have to do with, with what God has decided to do or how he's planned the whole thing, I always go back to Genesis. But let's go back to John 1 because it's a mirror of Genesis 1 and, and says some stuff that's important for us. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Now, again, I, I, let me throw this out here, um, <clears throat> and, and I know this statement can be misunderstood. Anytime I mention this, I get some questions, and I get to, you know, some emails or something, people are saying, what exactly, how are you saying this? I said this one time in a, um, in a uh, seminary to a bunch of doctoral students, and, man, I got shredded. They, they thought I was some kind of heretic because I was saying this, and I finally explained to them, you are not listening to what I'm really saying, you're listening to from your theological already mindset. Here's, here's what I'm uh, positing. That some of the terms that we use for Jesus, I think, are limiting terms and they're temporary terms. In other words, Jesus, uh, the Son of God. I think that's a limiting term. I think it's good for us. I think God is trying to say something, but I don't think it's a transcendent term the exact same way that other terms that are used for Jesus or other titles that are used for Jesus. Let, let, let me give you an example with this. Go back into the Old Testament. One of the, the names for Jesus is um, the Lord that heals you, right? So if the Lord that heals you is one of his names, isn't that a temporary type of name? It's not a transcendent name because when we step into eternity, we won't need healing. So the Lord that heals you won't actually apply. It doesn't mean it's a bad term or a wrong term. It's very important. In fact, it's a vital term for us now. It's a necessary term for us now. But it's not going to be an eternal name for Jesus, in my opinion. And I don't think the Son of God is a, an eternal name for Jesus because I think the Father and the Son are ways that God is trying to explain to us who he is that's a transcendent, bigger than us ever could, we could ever understand God, but he's talking to limited human beings about who he is in relationship to us. So he uses terms like the Father. I think that's a limiting term. I don't think that's a, an eternal term. It's a, it's a necessary term for me now. It helps me understand God, and I can worship him better because of the, uh, the understanding of Father. The same with Son, that, that, but it's still a temporary term. But when we read in John chapter 1, we're reading an eternal term, a transcendent name. And I believe, in fact, when we get to eternity, I believe this is how we're going to know Jesus primarily. 
is we're going to know him as the word. In fact, we might not even, hold on, I'm, I'm probably, <laughs> we might not even ever use the name Jesus ever in eternity. That's an earthly name. I'll give you one of the reasons I think that. Because we personally, you and I, as human beings, when we step into eternity, one of the things that the Lord does for us is he gives us a new name. See, right now, we're, if you get saved, you're already given that name, but you don't know what it is yet. That the way Scripture says is it's already written down in heaven. Your new name is already written down, but you and I don't know what it is. But when we step into eternity, you get your new name. And, and, and by the way, I believe your new name will be directly related to how God has created you and designed you. Now, I, I, I don't want to, in the past, I've given examples of how I think, and anytime I give examples, it limits it. And that's the questions that people ask me is about the examples that I give. So I'm not going to give any examples, but, but just to try to help you unpack this, how God has created you in the core of who you are, the essence of who you are, that once you step back into no sin, covered perfection, relationship with God, you know, the, the old is passed away, all that, that mentality when we step into eternity, that when he hands you your new name, I believe when we're standing there at, at, at the end of judgment and that God says your name, gives you your name. In fact, I believe, since I'm unpacking a bunch of stuff, I believe that when he calls out your name at the judgment, that's the name he calls out. Not, he's not going to call out Scott for me. He's going to call out my new name. Okay, now here's the cool part of that. When, when If he called out Scott, everybody would know who I am. But, but when he calls out my new name, everybody's going to know the completeness of what I am. Are you following me with that? And I think when he calls out my new name, everybody's going to go, yeah, that makes sense. That's who he is. And so when we're looking at the word, that, that the word, when we're standing in eternity, I think that's how we're going to know Jesus for eternity is the word. Because it says right here, in fact, it says in verse 14 of chapter 1, that the word was made flesh. And it could say, a little parenthetical statement, it could say right there, and they gave him the name Yeshua, or Jesus. Okay? In the beginning was the Word. The Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. All, see, this is the through him part is the key here. See, when we're running the race for the prize, we're not running the race for, for, if we're not careful, we limit this to the guy on earth. That's the idea of who Jesus is that we have. We have this, this guy that, depending on how old you are, back in our day, he looked like the Bee Gees. And, and that was the Jesus that we served, right? This, this physical human guy. In fact, there's a, there's a whole series I, I've done before talking about the baby Jesus and how everybody sees the Jesus as the, the little plastic baby in the manger kind of thing. That's not, that's not the guy we're running the race for. That's the physical limitedness of who he was for a short period of time on this earth so that he could die for us to bring us in right relationship. But that's not who's going to be standing there when we cross the finish line. It's going to be a much bigger grandeur of us understanding him. 
See, when God created, when it says in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all that kind of stuff in Genesis 1, it says right here that God created through the Word. The Word is the one who spoke it. He spoke it. And I think you could also say very, very easily, uh, theologic, I think it's being responsible theologically to say this, that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it happen. So he creates through the Word, and the, the, the fullness of that is the Holy Spirit. The power of that, the, the, the um, bringing into existence part, uh, is the power of the Holy Spirit. So God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Even running the race, the, the cells in your body were created by the Word. The Word created every aspect of you. So even as we're running, even though we're not to the finish line yet, even as we're running right here on this earth, and we're running, sometimes we're running through, through mud, sometimes we're running through difficult things, sometimes it's great, it's, you know, we're, we're cool, breeze behind us, all that, but it's not always that way. Sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's good. But every single second was created by God. Time itself was created by God. And then he puts us in it. Our bodies created by God. He puts our spirit in that. Our existence, everything created by the word. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Down in verse 10, he came into the very world he created. Now this, this is the part where it starts getting, before it's just amazing and majestic and transcendent, and then it starts becoming very personal and supernatural in a personal level. You and I are starting to experience the supernaturalness of the next few verses. Before, it was so big and transcendent, it was beyond us, okay? God's just creating, and the Word is there, and, and there's light. And so, but then, <clears throat> this Word... He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. It would be the same thing as you making like a little Lego something, and all of a sudden you're in it. Now, I know some of you here, you imagine that already. I know some of you that do that stuff, um, that you, like, you make the Millennium Falcon out of Legos, and then you're inside, in your head you're inside, you know, that kind of, I get it, I get it. I mean, you guys are all kids, I don't act like that, but... He creates this, and then he puts himself right in the middle of it. Do you realize how even supernatural that is? Make, make, a, make an ant farm and put yourself in the middle of it. How, how well are you doing that? Do you have that ability? See, you see th this is already supernatural, but it's now relationally supernatural. It's now for you and I. But the world didn't recognize him. He puts himself in the middle, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted them, he gave them right to become children of God. And that's the key. The reason he comes into this world he created is so that we can be made right, so we can be children of God. <clears throat> they are reborn, not with physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, which He would have to be both. Love that drives Him to the cross and faithfulness that, that, that takes Him um, through the process. Love brings Him here and gets, gets Him ready for the cross, but we can see in the Garden of Gethsemane that there had to be some faithfulness on His part too to take those next steps and say, I'm going to follow through with this. This is scary. It's not going to be, it's not going to be fun. 
but I'm going to stake, I'm going to follow through. Full of love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now let's jump forward to Revelation 21. This is the same word. This is still who we call Jesus, who we call the Son of God. This is still him. But we're seeing now a biggerness, a transcendence beyond some of those words, some of those titles. And now we're seeing the, this title, the word, seems to me, at least, to be, to be popping out now. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I, you know, if you, if you just take some time and look at some of this stuff, process, there are some descriptions here that we don't totally understand what it's going to look like, what it's going to be like. The, the, this sea that was talked about earlier, it's gone. Now we see this new heavens and all, all these things. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That is an interesting way to describe a city. This city is described as a bride. Dressed, ready. I think there's more going on here than we know. There's more that God is describing things to us, or John is describing things to us that are that are they're they're eternal, they're transcendent. We don't we don't know why you would describe a city dressed as a bride. But apparently there's more to this than what the details that we're getting here. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look. God's home is now among his people. And again, this is why I always go back to Genesis 1. Anytime we're trying to look at who God is and what he's trying to do, if we look at the bookends, Genesis 1 and Revelation 21 right here is the good example. Uh, Genesis 1, 2, 3, we see what God wanted, what he designed. And when we put that together with the, the end of Revelation and some parts through Scripture too, when we put that together, we begin to realize now what he had designed, and, and from Genesis 3 to middle of Revelation, is all of the redeeming, bringing us back. The bookends are the key. If we can focus, the bookends are what we're supposed to think like and be like. The bookends are the point. That's what the writing is about, is if you want to be like this, pay attention in the middle. The middle is telling us what God had intended and where he wants to get to, and this is who we're supposed to be in relationship to him to get there. And we're seeing some of this described here. He says, I heard a shout. It says, look, God's home is now among his people, like it was in Genesis. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, it is interesting to me that they have tears in their eyes at that moment. Okay? Um, I always kind of thought, I don't know, I don't think I was ever taught this, but I just always kind of thought that um, when you, once you get to the great white throne of judgment, everything, you just like forget everything else, right? You step into eternity, you forget everything else. Now you're in eternity and everything is great and everything. But if this is after they've already stepped into eternity, why is God wiping tears from their eyes? I, I don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us, but this is what I think. Because you just left some friends and family outside 
and they're not coming into heaven, they're going to hell. I can't imagine what else you'd be crying about. What, what else? You just stepped into the presence of God. What else would you be crying about? And God personally wipes the tears uh, from their eyes. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he, and he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who's, who's saying this? The Word. The Word is saying it's finished. When the Word speaks, it is. It, it, it's immediate. That's why I've heard people debate back and forth. Can God lie? You know, there are certain things. God Can God make a rock too big? He can't pick it. I mean, there's some of the dumbest things people will ever try to discuss. But the biggest one for me is, can God lie? It's an impossibility for God to lie. Most people attack that, that subject from the angle of the nature of God, which is legit. It's not a bad way to attack that, that question. But, but rather than attack it from the nature of God, in other words, the holiness of God will not allow God to lie. I always like to attack it from the point of view that He is the Word. Can God lie? No, He's the Word. When the Word says something, it will never be a lie. It will be. So in other words, if, if God is, is sitting, if, if, um, if Jesus, the Word is sitting here right now, and He says, the sky is purple, for us, it will just be purple. In fact, here's some quantum theory for you. If God says the sky is purple, I believe it will be purple and we will never have known it to be anything else. Now that'll get in your head and mess you up for a little bit because then you're like, well, how many times has he changed it? Because for me, it's always what he says. That'll mess with you for a little while. All right, so <laughs> some of you are like, I don't, when I say things like that to my wife, she's like, I don't, I don't care. But then my son's like, Dad, that's a good point. We should spend the next two weeks thinking about that. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, all right. Where was I? You guys messed me up. Okay. When Jesus says it is finished, remember the other time he said that? When he was hanging on the cross? He said, it's finished. I, 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 I did what I came to do. I did what I came to do. Now, here's the cool part about this statement, it is finished. Because he's saying the same statement, but he's talking about a bigger subject. When he, when, he, when he says it on the cross, it is finished. He's saying, what I came to do, put you back in right relationship with God, it is now finished. When he says it here, it is finished. He's now saying, now everything that you experienced before is finished. Now we're stepping into eternity with me. It's the, it's the finished part too. This is, the full, this is the culmination, the finalization of everything. There's no going back for this. And by the way, there's no second chances kind of thing either at this point. But, but really, at this point, if you get to hear the word, it's finished at this point, you're, you don't need to worry about second chances. He said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And you understand those are the same time, right? I've talked about that. I don't want to spend some time this morning talking about time and all that. But when Jesus says he's the beginning and the end, he means at the same time. We're limited time. He's not. 
He's the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I love the sentence, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. So, let's, um, let's jump forward and let's look at some of that kind of mentality. Verse 10 of, of 21, So he took me in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, this is a big one. I, let me just throw this out here because I, I, I constantly, as a pastor, again, I do get the moments where people are saying, hey, uh, will you pray with me? You're talking. But I also get these other moments which, which to me are just irritating. They just irritate me. Because when people say things like, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. When somebody says that to me, it, it shows me they're not trying very hard to be a Christian. Being a Christian is not their priority. What their priority is, is I don't want to go to church. Most of the time, I keep my mouth shut. Most of the time, I go, huh. Every now and then, I, I just, I, 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 I try not to do this, but sometimes I just say things like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then I begin to explain, what do you mean? I had somebody just a, a, a few weeks ago say something like this. And, and I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I just kind of jumped all over the guy and said, that's stupid. That's dumb. Listen to this sentence and tell me where I'm going with this. I saw no temple in the city. This is the New Jerusalem. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So apparently, the temple is a big deal. Because Jesus himself is the temple. What we do when we get together in, in church services, what we do is we are coming together in a, in a central location to celebrate the temple. Not a building, but the true temple, which is God. And then it says that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you put, start putting all that together, just the idea of getting together in a, in, a, in a congregational mentality, worshiping with other Christians is so consistent all through Scripture and so necessary and so vital, so important that we get together, that we worship together, we pray together, that we, that we uh, bounce um, issues off of each other, all these kind of things. Iron sharpens iron. All that stuff goes into it. When somebody says, well, I don't need to go to church, it's because they've discounted everything that God is trying to do in people's lives. And they think they can go out into some kind of isolation mentality and still get it all done. The reason is because they don't really care about God. They're just coming up with a reason why they can feel good about not going to church. They probably grew up feeling guilty about it, and now they're trying to deal with it. Instead of saying, I want to get together. I want to do this kind of... When I read a sentence like this, this jumps out. It's something that we would say, just some, a little term we would say, I'm going to church. In fact, I've got a pastor friend up north that, that he said when he... This was 20 years ago, and he said he stopped saying to his family, let's go to church. He started saying, let's go be with the church. I like that. That's cool. Let's go be with the church. Let's go into something we'd call a church building or a temple or something else, and let's meet with God and with God's people. Let's do that. Why would you want to discount that? Why would you want to push it off to the side? I saw no temple, for the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of sun or moon. 
Why don't people ever say stuff like that as, as Christians? You know, I don't really need this son. I kind of do my own thing. Right? Sometimes Christians say some of the dumbest things. You, you know, one of the silly things that I see, I, I hear Christians say, uh, when it, and I'm using the term Christians here lightly, but when I hear people say, well, I don't, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. That one kills me. This is my 29th year of being a pastor. You know how many hypocrites I've met? Bazillions. Every day I get up in the mirror and I look at a hypocrite. I've been doing something lately. I don't want to hear any feedback about this, all right? I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to keep it quiet. I just, I'm going to let it be personal, but I'm sharing it with you. I told you I've been losing my hair on top. It's been thinning a lot lately. And again, I think it has something to do with my diet or, or something. Josh keeps telling me it's my age. I don't think he's right. I think he's totally off base here and a little disrespectful. But So I got some stuff. I forget what it's called, but it's stuff you put on top of your head. Um, it's, it's like fertilizer or something. I don't know what it is, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it grows my hair. I'm hoping that pretty soon I got like a fro like this. I forgot why I was telling you that. <laughs> Here's the reality is the church is full of hypocrites. I am one. All right. This, this is another thing I ask people when they say, well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Do you go to Walmart? Because it's full of hypocrites. Full of hypocrites in Walmart. Full of hypocrites. I was in Taco Bell the other day. Full of hypocrites. Right? All right. So I digress. The city has no need of sun or moon. The glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light. I love that. That we're going to walk in the light of Jesus. If you're not careful, all you think about is that means the way we see how we get around is because Jesus illuminates everything. This is so much bigger. Do, do you realize, okay, okay, how can I explain this quickly? Think about light particles, where they're going, what they're doing, and how they're interacting with you. This is why when you stand in light, there's a shadow behind you, because the light particles uh, go into you. They're absorbed by you at some level. And, and what doesn't get absorbed goes past, and that's why there's a shadow behind you. We're going to be walking in the light of Jesus, not just being illuminated, but feeling his presence, feeling his, his glory, feel, like, the feeling, like the, feel the, the heat of the sun, you're going to feel the glory of God. You're going to feel the, the, the power of God just walking through our day, doing nothing else, just walking. We're going to feel the presence of God. Now, all of these things, I believe you can have pieces and small parts and the way scripture says that you can have an earnest of this inheritance now you can walk in the glory and the power and presence of god but you got to work at it you got to think about it you got to process it you got to go there but that's 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 what's going to happen the nations you and i will walk in its light and the king of the world will enter the city and all the and the kings of the world will enter the city in all of their glory its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there and you know who these kings are I've had people say before, well, that means like the president of the United States and the, the, um, the ruler of Egypt and uh, no, no, the prime minister. No, this, that's not who these kings are. See, if you, if you go backwards a little bit, it talks about how that we, you and I, 
are all given positions of authority and responsibility to rule along beside him, and that we are the, the priest uh, as part of his the priest. We're priesting for him, all these different things. And we're, giving, we're given um, uh, geographical regions that we're going to rule over on this earth. And now it says the kings. It quite possibly could be one of you. That's a king coming into the, to the city to worship God. It doesn't mean the kings that have always been. It means the kings that the Lord puts there now. It's not gonna, God's not going to let some unruly, I mean, ungodly ruler of some country come walking into his city. They didn't make the cut. You and I are now the kings. Some of us, some of us may not be. But it could very well be. Think about this. All the kings are come walking. Anna. Anna's one of the kings. She comes walking in the city of Jerusalem. That's what it's going to be. How cool is that? Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. One time I was really tired. I was going through a very difficult time and I read that sentence. Um, its gates will never be closed because there is no night there. I was like, oh, when are we going to get to rest? <laughs> um, you know when you get to rest? You rest in the Lord. In a way that physical rest now will never accomplish. We're not going to be limited to physicalness then. We're, the, the, Lord is our, the, the Lord is our everything. He's our peace. He's our rest. He's our, he's our light. He's everything. You'll be rested in a way that you'll, you'll never acquire on this earth. How amazing is that? Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Remember the, the verse we read a little bit ago that we will drink freely, drink freely from the water of life. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the, the river grew a tree of life. You, okay, so I didn't read this part, but right above it, it talks about that the road, this Main Street, is gold that is so pure, it's clear. And the river is running right down the middle of that road. This is the river. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. Now, now again, <clears throat> I, don't think I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm bridging too far of a gap to say this. I think it, if you process it, it makes sense. Remember, we're getting back. In Revelation, we're getting back to what God had designed originally in Genesis. I really believe that these, the trees, the way he's describing these, is what was happening in the Garden of Eden. I believe the trees changed fruit. Every month, different fruit. You say, well, they could have all had different fruit. Valid, I'll go with that too. I, I totally would get that. But see, we're seeing something described that it's, it's now got back to the way it's supposed to be. Each, the, the, each, on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 fruits, crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. I, I wish we could apply that sentence right now. 
no longer will there be a curse on anything. I was, Thursday morning, I was hanging out with Harry a little bit. We went to the breakfast, and, and um, I kept thinking about that. He's come a long ways, there's no doubt, um, from the stroke. He's come a long ways. God has done some amazing things, but he's still not 100%. There will no longer be a curse upon anything. There's so many things going on in, in, in people's lives and in our bodies and our spirits and everything. I, I, I prayed for this earlier, but to mention this. Um, so Sharon Cheney, many of you know that she's had kidney issues for a while. She's been on dialysis and all that stuff. And they just found out this week that she's got cancer. You know, there's comes these moments, at least in my limited head, when I think, man, enough is enough. Enough. Stop. But there will no longer be a curse on anything. No curse on human bodies. No curse on our minds. No curse on relationships. Nothing. There will be no curse on anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. And His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face. Literally face to face we'll get to see. And his name will be written on their foreheads. I had somebody one time tell me that's, that's proof that it's okay to have tattoos. Like, okay. Tattoo Jesus on your forehead and we'll go with you. This, you know this has nothing to do with tattoos, right? Zero. Okay. Good or bad. It doesn't have anything to do with tattoos. And he will write his name upon your forehead. I will walk around being known as a follower of Jesus. But I don't think the word Jesus is going to be written on my forehead. What do I think? I think it's going to be the word. We'll see when we get there. There will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever. And able ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires his prophets, has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. So here's the question for us Do you believe? Do you believe this? Is the Lord coming soon? Is all this stuff true? Is eternity true? Is all this, or is this some kind of mystical spiritual writing it's not true you've got to make the decision nobody can make it for you but for me because i do believe it's true i live my life differently i live my life with that finish line that finish line in the distance i don't i don't live it saying well if i can just make it to heaven it's the other way around I want people to go with me. I want people to be there. I don't want to step in there and my kids not be there or my friends or family. I don't want that. I don't want the next door. I don't want the parking lot guy to not make it. Because why? I know how amazing this finish line is going to be. And what I know is very small in comparison to what it is. Why don't you stand with me? I want to give you an opportunity this morning to have some people pray for you. Because here's what I know in this. Different times in my life and different moments. And I just mentioned just a second ago that, that um, sometimes I've been very tired, very worn out, and I read a sentence like that, that it's not going to be any night, and I'm like, oh, I just need rest. Guys, I know that some of us in here, we just need 
rest. We just need refreshing. We just need maybe just a, a rebuild. Nothing I've said this morning is new, but you're saying, man, it just seems so far away from me. I know it's true. I know there's a heaven. I know that we're going to step there someday, but right now I'm just being buried by now. It's difficult to stop being buried by now. To keep my eyes on the prize, I can't even lift my eyes up. I need, to, I need, to, I need some help right now and, and today. And so this, this is what I'd like us to do, is to take the opportunity, have our prayer partners come down here, and, uh, and we, want to, we want to give you an opportunity. And, and, and I don't want to just limit to that. I think there's a full spectrum, potentially, what God wants to do with us this morning, okay? But to say, I, somewhere in that concept of look up, maybe we could use that a little bit. Lord, I need to look up. Maybe just look up past the limited physicalness, the limitations of who I am. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to limit it too much. Maybe just need a refreshing your spirit. I just need to look up and know the Lord's coming. And this earth is temporary. This earth is limited and temporary. So let me pray for us. And then um, take the opportunity, maybe just right where you're at, sit down, kneel, pray, spend some time. Don't just take off. Think about some of what we've read. Think about how it relates to you, processing some of that. But I would like to invite you to, to come down and have somebody pray for you, specifically if you're struggling right now. You just need somebody. You just need somebody to come alongside. You need that, that Holy Spirit just to do something. Don't walk out of here feeling like that, please. Find somebody, have them pray with you and trust God. God, we thank you so much. We thank you because you are so big, so majestic. Jesus, we're amazed at your love and faithfulness. We're amazed at your commitment to us. We're overwhelmed by what you went through so we can have your blood to cover us. So Lord, I pray for every one of us here Help us to call out to you. Forgive us. Forgive us and wash us clean. Cover us with your blood, Jesus. Cover us with your blood. God, we need you so much. We need you so much more than we know we need you. So Jesus, cover us with your blood and help us to follow you. Help us to... to to seek for you. Help us to seek that finish line. When we cross that line, we fall into your arms. The Word, the transcendent one, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Alpha and the Omega, the all-consuming, beginning and the end. We get to be with you. So Lord, I do pray for everybody in this room that I know there's some people going through some major stuff Lord they just need refreshed they just need your spirit to jump in the middle of them Lord they need some miracles they need you to do some things Lord but help us all look up for our salvation is near help us to look up our salvation is near right now we thank you so much, Lord. Jesus' name.
can take off if you need to. But just to encourage you, maybe just spend a little time. Uh, maybe find one of our prayer partners, have them pray with you. And uh, if not, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.